The Army's non-commissioned officers train all other soldiers, and as the service plans for its future force, the brass want more NCOs who can lead in cybersecurity and information technology. A group of command master sergeants talked about the challenges at a recent AFSIA TechNet panel in Augusta, Georgia. Federal News Network's Alexandra Lohr joins me with more. And so what is the Army doing, I guess? Let's start there to keep the NCOs, the non-commissioned officers, so that they are up to date on some of this technology. Well, Tom, the, the NCOs have various different roles. And so they have to keep the, the physical technology within their own organizations running and repaired. And those are things soldiers do, but they're ultimately in, in charge of those soldiers and, and how that goes. And then they're in charge of the soldiers and their training. Cyber Corps has a goal of doubling by 2025. I think it's around 3,000 now, or it was last year. They want to be up to about 6,000. And then Signal Corps, which, you know, you probably remember Signal Corps from old World War II movies with the radios. They're a lot more high-tech than that now. Yeah, I've been up to Fort Ritchie in the days, Fort Ritchie, Maryland, in the days before it ceased to be Fort Ritchie. And that was one of the old Signal Command places. Yep. Right. So now, of course, it's all a lot more technological. And the Army needs to find people who have those skills, ideally in their background, but they also need to train them and bring them up to date on current technology. And so the NCOs have to be one step ahead of everyone else. Here's Command Sergeant Major Jack Nichols from Army Cyber Command. We have to be more technical. We have to understand the space. We have to understand our devices. We have to be able to explain how it operates, where it works. All those things we're certain that, that a signal soldier should know. Um, but we don't always kind of teach that. To, and, and again, it goes back to you know getting the NCOs trained up at these RSTSs, getting them trained up at the schoolhouse, but, but becoming more proficient in what we do and how we operate and how we perform in the environment. Yeah, it sounds like they need to treat the radios and IT gear the same way they treat M16s. You've got to be able to take it apart, put it back together really fast, and know the internals to take good care of it. And aside from the technology, Alex, how does all of this affect the training that the junior soldiers are going to get? Well, that's one of the big challenges that the NCOs were talking about in the panel. They have to go out and train their soldiers. And those soldiers do get certifications. They go to schools. But when they're within their units, they're depending on the NCOs to be ahead of them and to be able to teach them about the equipment and and the software that they're using. So one of the challenges is that for NCOs, that's not their only job. They're going to rotate into different positions as they go through their career. So someone who's working in a cyber command position might go out and do recruiting for two or three years, or they might be a drill sergeant, and they come back and they're now two or three years behind. So here's Command Sergeant Jerry Dodson with the Army Maneuver Center of Excellence. I I have almost 1,100 infantry drill sergeants on Fort Moore. They come out of ForceCom for two years, sometimes three, if they extend. By the time I send them back out to ForceCom, technology has changed a lot in that period. They, they, they don't know. And so when they show up and we're like, hey, you're now a platoon sergeant, we just got to make sure we have that training right. And so we're taking a look at that. Like, how, how do we keep them up to date? Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very fine line on trying to balance all this. Gunnery training means you can lose your Cisco certification while you're doing one thing and not the other. Interesting take here. And so what is the Army doing to keep the NCOs up to date so that when they come back from being a drill sergeant, they can be effective leaders in IT? Well, they're doing a couple of things. They're trying to update their professional military education. There's supposed to be a whole course in data literacy that's coming up, but they won't really have that fully rolled out in 
till 2025. They're updating their certifications, the different career training you can get. And then one possibility that they're looking at is bringing in adjunct faculty from maybe community colleges or universities to sort of help out with the training and keep everyone up to speed. Here's Command Sergeant Major Ronald Krauss from CyberCorps. And this is challenging, right? Cyber and electromagnetic warfare, uh, constantly changing environment. There's a lot of pressure uh, to keep up with what's going on. Where is our subject matter expertise? Although we reside a few at the schoolhouse, most of it is in operations. Well, if you look at the things that we have to accomplish and to stay on pace, on path of what is going on uh, with our organizations and our partners in our fields, how do we tap into that expertise? And Alexandra, is one of the dangers here is that soldiers who get all of this kind of training or the, the uh, NCOs themselves that are doing the training, they just get beckoned by industry because of the salaries and opportunities and the Army loses them. Well, of course, and I think we talk about that a lot with all of the armed services is that, you know, they train them, they get really good, and then they're very, very attractive to industry. Right now, the, the Cyber Corps guys are coming up on, on six years, and so some of them are getting out, some of them are staying in, but the Army does have to do a really good job right now of making staying in and becoming an NCO something that's attractive to their soldiers. Here's Command Sergeant Major Jack Nichols. I mean, there's a whole bunch of battle buddies hanging out out there doing great things in industry. And it's based on a lot of the education and training that they received while they were in the military doing what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our soldiers, you know, we, we look at the first cohort of uh, cyber soldiers, the first six years is just about done. Some of them are staying, some of them are kind of moving on, and that's okay. I just need to continue to build more. And, uh, you know, that's the, what the schoolhouse helps us out quite a bit. But once again, state-of-art facilities support that. Uh, and I look forward to kind of where we're going to or 2030 as uh, several more facilities be built. And the question in my mind, Alexandra, is does the Army give any thought to the idea of specializing the NCOs so that the ones that are teaching cybersecurity and information technology don't take a stint to do drill sergeant work but stay in the cyber and in the IT area so that they do stay current and let people that be drill sergeants stay drill sergeants? Well, that's a really interesting question, and I hadn't heard that. That wasn't part of the panel. What they did talk about, though, is narrowing the number of MOSs, the specialties, and making each of those specialties a little broader. So instead of having 14, you might have two, and that person is trained on a wider variety of technical areas, so they're better able to adapt and teach them. Federal News Network's Alexandra Lohr. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And be sure to check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years 
past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role, even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And I, and I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They're the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we? And the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. 
You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, the, Describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed. uh, And, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice that whole approach because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's, it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's, it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you're asking for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two. Yeah. If that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do. But integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay. I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can't. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, 
Is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.